I'm very thankful that the Lord has given us a hope and a future. Amen. You know, there's, there's no one and there's nothing in this world that can really promise that. Not really. I mean, there are things in this life that we could do that might give us a temporary hope or a temporary future. But I'm just so thankful. That song uh, just reminded me that, you know, the, 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 the promise that God has given to us in eternity it's never going away, it's never going to fade, and it's going to absolutely last forever. Praise God for what He's done for us and what He's blessed us with and what He's given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and we're going to be in eternity one day, uh, but for now, I want to talk to us about how we're supposed to live in the here and now. That's what this series is about, missional living, uh, how we're supposed to live out our Christianity in the everyday rhythms of life. As we've been marching through Romans, we've looked at some very doctrinal-based kind of things at the beginning of the book, and now we're looking at some more practical things, how we live our life. We looked at several topics of how we're supposed to live a missional life through evangelism, missions, and lifestyle worship and things of that. Uh, today, I want to look at Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and I'm, in just a moment, I'm going to start reading uh, in verse 9. And uh, we're going to talk about what it means to be a genuine Christian. And I guess there's a lot of things that we could say about that, but I want us to look at some specific areas in which the Lord has called us to be genuine. Uh, there's a difference between something that is genuine and something that is generic, right? How many of you, when you go to the grocery store, buy, buy things that are generic? How many of you buy generic stuff? Okay, I'm going to give a categorical shame on you for that. Uh, although, I will say, there is something about generic food lion bacon that is really good. Now listen, I, I think that my reputation as a bacon expert is firmly established. Uh, so you can go ahead and take that to the bank. But by and large, I don't like generic, I mean, generic potato chips. I mean, why not just buy Doritos? Generic cream cheese. There is something about good generic cream cheese that just does not taste the same as the other. Now, I know all of you are looking at me like, oh, well, you are such a snob. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, those products that are generic, they're cheaper, but they're, they're, they're usually they're, just, they're, they're missing something or maybe they're just not quite as good. Uh, maybe that illustration is not perfect, but however, um, I, my, my, uh, uh, I guess my point is obvious. Uh, the Lord doesn't want us to just be kind of nominal Christians. He doesn't want us to be generic Christians. He desires for there to be something extremely genuine about who we are and about how we live our life. And genuine basically means without hypocrisy. That's, that's what genuine means. Genuine means without hypocrisy. I don't know about you, but that is a tall order for any human being, especially politicians and the like. Uh, but if we want to live a missional life, then we've got to be the real deal. We have to, we have to live up to, to what the Bible says about who we should be. And I suppose there's lots of characteristics that we could look at that would identify what a genuine Christian is. I, th I think about some doctrinal issues. I mean, there's certainly some theological doctrinal issues that we would say, now this clearly identifies you as a genuine Christian. 
You know, we would have to say that we believe, uh, believing that Jesus is the only way to God and believing that Jesus was God in the flesh, we would say that you, know, you kind of have to believe that in order to be a genuine Christian. Um, I suppose we could look at uh, maybe a list of moral qualifications for what we think a genuine Christian would be, and we would draw those moral qualifications out of Scripture. Um, I'm certain that we would have to look at certain character traits that would identify what a genuine Christian is all about. And while there are many of these types of characteristics that would uh, identify a genuine Christian, there's one characteristic in particular that I want to talk about today. This one characteristic that we see that is in the overwhelming witness of Scripture that we see in both Old Testament and New Testament, and that characteristic is love. Love. The Bible goes so far uh, in talking about the importance of love, it says that God is love. And the commands that we have uh, to love are all throughout the New Testament. We see them also in the Old Testament as well. And I want to read about this today in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, where the scripture says, Let love be genuine, not generic. But let love be genuine. Let love be authentic. And then there are a, a, a long list of just these quick sentences that describe what that looks like. So if you don't mind, would you stand with me as we read these verses together from Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. This says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Not generic, not faith. Not, filled, not, not, not fake, not filled with hypocrisy, but let love be genuine. And then for the rest of these verses, it basically goes on to tell us what that looks like. It says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many things that are written just in this one section. Lord, it's almost like all of these New Testament proverbs kind of mushed in together that all speak about how we're supposed to love. Father, I pray that you would teach us to learn from your word today. 
And I pray, God, that you would help all of us uh, to be more like you and to be more loving in the way that we relate to others, in the way that we relate to you, in the ways that we relate to uh, uh, people within our church, but God, also in the way that we even relate to our enemies. You have spoken clearly about all these categories. Help us, Lord, to be genuine in our love for each other. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. There absolutely is no other more distinguishing characteristic of God than love. When you think about everything that the Bible tells us about who God is, you think about everything that the Bible, how, how the Bible describes God, uh, love is the defining characteristic of who He is. Even His attributes of power, His attributes of knowledge, all the things that Scripture says about Him, about how He is omnipresent, how He is in sovereign control of the universe, of all the characteristics about God, love is that, is that characteristic of God through which we can have a relationship with Him. If it wasn't for God's characteristic of love, we couldn't have a relationship with an all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, wrathful God. But this characteristic of love brings everything together as far as what we know about God. There's a, a, a verse of scripture in Psalm 34 that I have just been meditating on. It seems like for months. I have it written down in places where I can see it. Um, and I've made, mention, I've made mention of this verse before on Sunday mornings, but... Whenever Moses asked the Lord, he said, show me your glory. And God said, I'm going to make my goodness pass by. After the Lord passed by, he made a proclamation about himself. God said that he is, he is gracious, that he is compassionate, that he is slow to anger and is abounding in steadfast love. God didn't proclaim his power and his knowledge whenever his glory and his goodness passed by. He proclaimed his mercy and he proclaimed his love. And so just as whenever we look at God and we, our, our picture of him should be a picture of a God of love, not a, not a, not a God of love that's vo void of wrath and, and all those things, but yet a God of love, so it should be true about us as believers. People in the world should look at us and picture us and see us and view us as people with a characteristic of love. Now, I do believe that there's some caution that needs to be placed here. We need to be very cautious whenever we talk about this idea of Christians being characterized by love. We cannot love unless we also hate. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. This passage of Scripture right here, that this, uh, this passage starts off with this verse that tells us to love, but also tells us to hate. Abhor what is evil. Abhor it. This means, to, this means to hate what is evil. You see, the world's picture of love has to do with acceptance and tolerance of anything and of everything. And obviously, that is not who our God is, and so we can't be that way. The Bible does not tell us to hate people. The Bible tells us to hate evil. That's what the Scripture says. And so I, I think it's necessary just to kind of put that out there, that love doesn't mean that we accept 
anything from anyone that we just accept standards that are different than what the Bible says. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So there has to be this idea of standards in order for love to absolutely be genuine. Um, however, from this passage, and I just I feel like I needed to put that caution out there at the beginning. From this passage, we really see three primary ways that love is genuine and how as Christians we're proved to be genuine whenever we embrace, uh, uh, whenever we embrace this love. And so they're printed on the back of your bullet, and I'll just give them to you in advance. I went through this, uh, I went through all of these verses. And I thought to myself, man, I could preach just, I could preach one sermon on uh, just what the Bible says, uh, uh, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. I mean, that one verse could make a good sermon. And then I thought about the other verse at the very end, verse 21, that says, don't be over overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. I thought, man, that's another great verse. And I looked at all of these verses and I thought, I could, I could preach an individual sermon on each and every one of the individual sentences throughout all of this passage. But I found myself saying, okay, how could we categorize and package all of these verses in a way to where they just kind of have one main idea and one main theme? And I believe that we see the genuineness, the authenticity of love that flows all the way through all of these verses. And so I kind of categorized them in really three areas. Love for God's people, uh, lo uh, love for God in the midst of pain and suffering, and then love for our enemies. I, I think that if we surveyed the landscape of the entire New Testament, that we see that there's a lot of verses that talk about loving each other as fellow believers. And we see them in this collection of verses too. There are a lot of passages that talk about how we maintain our love for God whenever things get hard. You know, issues of endurance. In fact, the entire book of Hebrews is about endurance. We see a lot of verses in Scripture, a lot of passages, even whole books in the New Testament that talk about how we're to maintain a love for God and serve Him even whenever things are hard. And then this last category, which is the most challenging of all, which we'll look at last, um, is the idea of loving your enemies. Jesus spoke about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he, uh, he gave some parables in this regard, and we see examples of this all throughout Scripture. Well, here we see just in this collection of six or eight or nine verses, these three concepts kind of wrapped in to all of these individual statements that describe love. So let's just look at the first one. Let's look at the first one. Love for others in God's family of faith. Love for others in God's family of faith. Look at all these things that talk about how Christians are to relate to each other and love one another. It says love has to be genuine, love one another, have brotherly affection, show honor to each other, contribute to the needs of each other, show hospitality. All of these are ways and manners of relating to each other in love and to fellow Christians in love. So, I, I, here, here's, here's a quick way to state it. True Christians love Christians. True Christians love Christians. Now, listen, I know that we have flaws. We really do. And there's something about a Christian having flaws that makes it look even worse on a human being. And I understand that. 
I mean, when we see a person who doesn't claim to be a Christian, who lies, we think, well, that person told a lie. Oh, it's just a white lie, or they're just being human. But when we see a Christian who claims Christ and claims to love God and know God, and they lie, we're like, you call yourself a, you, you're a, you lied. It's, it's like it, it looks worse on us. There's, and it really does because of, because of the fact that we, we claim Christ. Sin looks worse on us for some reason. And I get that. But be that as it may, true Christians love Christians. No matter what our flaws might be, no matter what our sins might be, no, no matter what our hypocrisy might be, we love each other because we know that we all have the same goal of purity. And we all have the same Jesus who has laid out that path of purity before us. But true Christians love Christians. We have to have love for others in the family of faith if we're going to be genuine. Look at some of these words. Love must be genuine. First of all, that's talking about God's agape love. That's speaking of a love that is sacrificial and giving in nature. And then there's two other words that are sometimes translated love. Uh, it, this word love one another speaks more of like a love among family, like, the, like not romantic love, and, and not, uh, uh, not God's sacrificial love, but a love among family is what it describes. Like love between husband and wife from a family perspective. Love between aunts and uncles. Love between brothers and sisters. Uh, love between parents and kids. A family type of love is how the Bible describes this. And then uh, it's, it's almost redundant here. It says love one another with a brotherly love or a brotherly affection. Now listen, this one kind of confuses me a little bit. Um, uh, how many of you men have brothers? How many men in here have brothers? Um, please don't love me like you do your brother because you probably tackle him, you know, when you were growing up and you punch him in the face and that's what my, that's what my sons do to each other. They slap each other and laugh about it, right? So uh, brotherly affection, this is, this, this one is, is kind of interesting when you think about how brothers relate to each other. Um, but there's something even in that rough and tumble brotherly affection that bonds those kids together. And uh, so brotherly affection, just a way of, a way of, relating, uh, a way of relating to each other, a brotherly affection. Uh, by the way, men, I've told you this before, but there is a way that men hug and there's a way that men don't hug, right? Have I told you all this before? Let me give you the, let me give you the rules of the man hug. Okay, the safest way to do this, um, and uh, and I, matter of fact, I, I did this. Uh, I did this with someone this morning. The safest way to do this: shake hands. Your hands are in between you, and you kind of pat each other right there, and it's done, right? Or you can do the slap, you know, shoulder bump, you know, kind of like this. You know, that's a safe way. If you're gonna do a bear hug, all right, me and Joey, we like to bear hug, right? If you're gonna do a bear hug with a man, if you're gonna show brotherly affection, it needs to be muscular. Right, mm. it, need, it needs to right. It can't be. It can't be soft. Okay, and be a man hug. It absolutely cannot be soft. And so it has to be. It, there has to. There has to be some some heft to it. And never rub. Okay, <laughs> pats are acceptable in brotherly affection. 
pats are accessible, but only two at the most three, and then you break it off, okay? Never, ever, ever, ever make it weak like this and lay the head. That is not a man hug. That is not brotherly affection, and that will get you beat down in God's house. So you don't ever, ever do that. But I'm I'm just carrying on. But brotherly affection, brotherly affection is part of Uh, how we're supposed to relate to each other, even if we don't punch each other like brothers do. Showing honor, uh, this is respect and reverence. Contributing is giving. Hospitality, open arms, welcoming to others. Now here's why this is important. Love among God's people. Why this is important is because Jesus said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus basically said, that people won't see you as genuine and legitimate as a group of believers. If you don't love one another, they'll say, "Mm, there's something about that that's not real. There's something about that that is not genuine. There really should be no other gathering in which love for the people around us should be clearly seen than whenever we gather with God's people. It's just a distinguishing mark of a true believer. And this is what Jesus did for us, right? This is how Jesus showed love. Jesus showed affection with his disciples. I could see Jesus bear-hugging his disciples. I could see him him going up behind Peter and flicking him in the ear. I mean, I really could. I could see this brotherly affection that Jesus had with his disciples. And I believe that Jesus has shown us this type of love. Matter of fact, he says in his word that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And that God so loved the world that he gave his son. So love for other believers. Number two, uh, number two, uh, love for God in the midst of pain. Love for God in the midst of pain. Uh, Romans 12, chapter 11 kind of uh, touches upon this. This idea of zeal and fervency and patience and being constant in prayer. This is an endurance in our love for God. Uh, There's perhaps no other strikingly distinguishing mark of a true believer than a love and a passion and a zeal for God himself and just for the things of God. Um, To have an insatiable desire and passion and interest in the things of God is a distinguishing characteristic. It's a mark of a true and genuine believer. Now, this is not a passive interest. I have a lot of passive interests, okay? Uh, If I see a nice car in the parking lot, I can walk past that car and say, wow, man, I like that. That's really cool. Walk around and look at those wheels, rev it up. Man, that's neat. I kind of have a passing interest. Um, uh, uh, Me and my family went and toured uh, the USS Midway uh, this, uh, 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 this past summer, and we saw all these airplanes. They were really cool. We walked around, looked at all these airplanes. You know, I have a passive interest in all types of things like that. But I don't have airplanes in my house. I don't have a muscle car in my my driveway. Um, There's a difference between a passive interest and a passionate interest, a passionate involvement. And that's what God has called us to, to be zealous and to be fervent, uh, to rejoice, to be constant in prayer. And anybody can drum this up in the moment. Anybody can drum it up in the moment. But the question is, what about when you're tested? The Bible talks about having a faith that is proved genuine whenever it is tested. You see, generic products, 
for example, they can't handle the stress test. But something that is genuine can live up to what is expected. And so in tribulation, in tribulation, we should maintain a love and a passion and a zeal and a drive for God. By the way, tribulation in this verse means physical, mental, social, relational, or economic distress. So when those things are happening in your life, is your love for God, your passion and your zeal to know Him and to serve Him, is it still there? Or... Are, do, you, are you, do you get discouraged? Do you get distraught? Do you get sad? Do you get angry? Do you turn away from God? Do you blame Him whenever you're in tribulation? That's a generic response to tribulation. But we're supposed to have a genuine response to tribulation. Our love for God is to be constant and strong even in the midst of all of these things. So are you in the midst of tribulation? The Bible says to serve God fervently. Are you feeling sad about life? The Bible says rejoice because hope is never lost. The Bible tells us to be patient. God doesn't respond immediately. Wouldn't it be great if he did? Wouldn't it be great if we shot up a prayer to him and just like a text message, man, he just hit us back right away. Wouldn't it be great if God did that? Unfortunately, that's not how it works. You know, we find that Job in the Old Testament was in a lot of tribulation. And Satan came to him and said, just curse God and die. But he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And we need to be that way too. We need to be constant in prayer. We need to be patient when we're going through hard things. We need to be fervent and zealous and serve God and love him passionately, even whenever it's not easy to. That is what being a genuine Christian is all about. And Jesus, again, was our greatest example of this. You know, Jesus never stopped loving God, and he never stopped loving us right up to the point of his death on a cross. Jesus was pouring out his heart to God. He was praying to God. In the garden right before he was arrested, he said, Lord, not my will, but what you will. He was clinging to his passionate love for God, even in the midst of whenever he was dying on a cross. So this is what makes us genuine, is being like Jesus. And this last one, this last one is probably the most difficult of all. We're supposed to have a love for enemies when persecuted by evil. I don't have time to, again, I'm trying to condense all these verses into one major theme of love. But this one right here, man, there are so many things that are spoken of in this verse. We know that whenever we've, we know whenever we've gotten to this point, to whenever we can love enemies, we can love evil people, people who are persecuting us and doing evil to us and insulting us. When we can love people in that way, I think that we'll find that our love for God is real and genuine. And I think that we'll also find that being able to love some flawed, a flawed group of Christians also is pretty simple in comparison to this one. Love for enemies when persecuted? Look what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible tells us to bless those who persecute us. To bless them. The Bible also tells us not to do something to evil people who are our enemies who are persecuting us. The Bible tells us not to curse them. 
Some of you are pulling out your phones right now and being, uh-oh, i got to clean up my Facebook page. i gotta, I got to clean up my social media because, man, I've been spewing some venom against some people that I just don't like. The Bible tells us not to do that. The Bible says, bless your enemies. The Bible says, don't curse them. Blessing means to speak well of, to honor, to have a positive disposition towards, and to relate to with kind actions. How many of you have done that for your enemies this past week? Or have you done the other? Have you cursed them? Have you invoked harm or spoke a curse upon? You see, our natural tendency is to bless people that bless us and to curse people who curse us. That's our natural tendency. But that makes us just generic and regular and just like everybody else in the world. That's what, that's what everybody does. You, you don't need a spiritual life to be able to do that. You just, just what human beings do. We're supposed to be a genuine form of believer in which we are actually able to return blessing for curses. That's what genuine believers do. The Bible says if they're hungry, feed them. If they need help, give, give them some help. Isn't this what Jesus did for his enemies? Didn't Jesus do this for his enemies? Whenever, whenever the Roman soldiers were nailing him to a cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. These people were brutally killing him. They were executing him and putting him to death. And Jesus prayed for their salvation. He prayed for them to be forgiven. He didn't have hate in his heart towards them. This means that we have to be a peacemaker. Look what the scripture says. The scripture says to live in harmony with one another. To live peaceably. This means this is the opposite. You see, our, our, natural, our natural tendency is to make war. You're my enemy, so I'm going to make war upon you. And I'm not going to stop until I win. That's the natural tendency. You shoot at me, I shoot back until you're dead. That's, that's the natural tendency, is not to be a peacemaker. But see, the genuine, the genuine believer wants to end the war. And, and pride doesn't matter because peace and harmony is more important than keeping the war going. And the Bible says to refuse vengeance. Never avenge yourselves. Wow. Never avenge yourselves. That is, that is a direct command from Scripture. So when someone does you evil, someone hurts you. Someone, someone does something painful against you. The Bible says don't avenge yourself. Now, vengeance, it, vengeance, is, vengeance is like payback. Okay, Vengeance is not you're actively hurting me and I'm going to try to stop you from doing it. All right? I, I, don't, I don't think that's what turn the other cheek in the Bible means. I do believe that you have the right to defend your life and to defend the lives of others. This is different. Vengeance means you did something to me years ago, and I'm not going to forget it, and I'm going to get you back for it. It's payback. And Jesus, I think, is the greatest example of someone who didn't do this. You remember those Pharisees? Remember those Pharisees that were his enemies? You remember those guys that looked at Jesus and said, hey, if you're real, just come on down, come on down off that cross. Then we'll believe in you. Those, those Pharisees that mocked him. 
you know, if I would have been Jesus, as soon as I would have been raised from the dead, I'd have been knocking the angels out of the way. I'd have walked right past Peter and all the women. I said, hey, thanks. I'll see you all in a minute. And I'd have gone right up to them old Pharisees and said, mm-hmm, now what you think? I didn't just come off the cross. I came back from the dead. Now look at me. Look at me. I got a spiritual body. You can't, I mean, come on. Isn't that what you would have done? That's totally what I would have done. I would have, I would have come flying up into Pilate's uh, palace and said, you messed up, brother. You just think washing your hands made it okay. Mm-mm. I'm coming for you. I'd have gone to all of them. I'd have shown myself to everyone in vengeance. It's not what Jesus did. Those Roman soldiers that put him on the cross, those Pharisees that were his enemies that hated him, Jesus didn't do any of that. He didn't have to have have the vengeance. There's There's some people in your life that you're thinking about right now that really hurt you. Man, they've... Maybe they abused you. Maybe they physically abused you. Or maybe they sexually abused you. Maybe they, maybe they caused you some financial pain. Maybe you lost a job. I mean, we're talking about people. I mean, I, I know this, this kind of stuff is real. But the Bible tells us, Bible tells us that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And part of the authenticity of being a real believer is to being able to love people who don't love you back. And people that, people that don't like you and hateful, and they spitefully abuse you. Jesus, Jesus went so far to say that if you won't forgive others their sins, then he won't forgive you your sins. So let me ask you a question about all this. It, it, does, this does, does all this seem difficult? It's almost as if it got harder as we moved through those three points. Like thinking about, okay... I'll muster up what I need to do to love God's people. I mean, after all, we're just beggars trying to show other beggars where to find food. I can look past a few. I can look past a little bit of hypocrisy. But then whenever we start thinking about, oh, my goodness, if, if it's God's will that I go through persecution, if, if it's God's will that I go through pain and hardship and hurt, and I still have to love him in the midst of all of that, wow, that seems really hard to say. No, I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm going to stay zealous and passionate for God. But then whenever we get to this whole enemy thing, and we think about people who have done us some real damage in life, and how genuine Christianity says, I'm going to love you and forgive you anyway. I don't know about you, but I look at these things and I think, it is absolutely impossible for me to be that kind of person. It's absolutely impossible for me to be like Jesus was, and to be the person that Jesus commands us to be, to love people on that level. And, and if, you're, if you're thinking it's impossible for you to do that, you're absolutely right. It is impossible. It's only possible if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. It's only possible if you know Jesus as Savior. How else can you love pompous, hypocritical Christians? How else can you love a God who allows bad things to happen to good people? How else can you love enemies and people who hate us? How, how else can you do that if you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you that somehow changes your heart and forms you into the person that God wants you to be? So you can't live a missional life unless the Lord changes you and transforms you.
You need to be changed today. Which one of, the, which one of these do you have the most problem with? And do you have the most problem with hypocritical Christians? Because a lot of people do. A lot of people have major issues with, with church people. Do you, have a, do you have a problem? Maybe you're struggling with some things in life right now that are hard and you can't understand. God, how do you love me if you have the power to make this stop in my life but you don't? How could you, how could you I mean, maybe that's where you are. Or maybe there's, there's someone from your past that hurts you and you're having trouble really loving them. Maybe there's someone in your present that's persecuting you. Maybe they're, maybe they're persecuting you because you're a believer and you're having trouble loving them. Maybe there's, maybe there's one of these categories that, that you need to pray about today. Maybe, maybe you would ask yourself today, am I really genuine? I think that in some measure, all of us, even, even, if at cert, even if only at certain points in time, all of us should be able to point to times in our life whenever these things were true. There were times in our life when I said, you know what, those church people drive me crazy, but I love them. There might be times in our life whenever we said, my life is really hard right now, and I don't understand why God's doing this, but I'm going to love him anyway. There should be times in your life whenever someone has done you wrong, and love has come out of your heart. None of us, none of us is doing this perfectly. None of us is walking in, in, the, in these things perfectly. None of us are Jesus, but we want to be. We want to be like him. And, and maybe, maybe you're right in the midst of some of these things. Or maybe you would say, none of this has ever been true about my life. Maybe you would ask yourself today, am I really and truly a genuine Christian? So let's bow our heads and pray about it today. Um, let's bow our heads and you pray. You ask the Lord. Uh, you ask the Lord whatever it is that he needs to show you that he might just show you. And if you don't know Jesus today, if you say, I'm just not a genuine believer, would you call on Jesus? Would you accept the love that Christ has shown to you and that God has poured out upon you through the cross of Christ? God loves you. You may think you're unlovable, but God absolutely loves you. Warts and all, He loves you. Would you love Him back? If you don't have a relationship with Him, if you just, if you're like, you know, I'm, I'm a fake Christian. I'm not even a generic Christian. I'm a fake Christian. It's not real in my life. I've just been kind of playing church. Maybe you want it to be real today. You want it to be genuine today. Would you call on Jesus and ask Him for it?